Welcome to the award-winning Disrupt Education podcast, a podcast that explores the latest innovations and trends in the world of education. I'm your host, Peter Hostrosser, along with Allie Privet. We're both educators. Okay, one of us is a former educator, and we were tired of the status quo and wanted to create a space where we could have conversations that aren't always in the public eye. Join us as we talk to other disruptors, educators, researchers, and thought leaders who are pushing the boundaries and challenging the way we were taught. We're thrilled you're here to be part of a not-so-underground movement to disrupt and amplify the good pieces in education. Whether you're a teacher, a parent, or a lifelong learner, there's a story for everyone on Disrupt Education. We're here each week to bring you stories from all over the globe of people doing education differently. Buckle your seatbelt, get on the disruptor plane as we climb to altitude before letting this episode free fall straight to your ears. Hey, it's Peter Hostrauser here. And hey, I want to tell you something about how I am actually disrupting education. Yeah, I'm moving forward with portfolios on spikeview.com. If you head over to spikeview.com, Basically, what we're teaching our students to do is actually to create a skills-based portfolio around their interests, through their passions, and what they're good at. It's called the strength-based approach. So basically, what we do is we build up our students and have them understand what they're good at and what they're interested in by the time they leave our high school. But it doesn't stop there. It's a K through gray. So if you want your students to continue to build their strengths in this day and age where resumes are dying and to show more and more about who they are, what they do, and they actually control all the data behind it, guess what? SpikeView is the place for you. Head over to spikeview.com, check it out. Let me know if you need anything because I tell you what, I have used this with my own family and my students. Check out spikeview.com today. Welcome to the podcast, Disrupt Education 2023. We're well into uh, February now. Um, Allie, how are you doing? Uh, great. It is, um, the north is very wintry, okay? <laughs> it's by January of 2023, we already had more snow than we usually get by March. So oh, wow. winter wonderland um, <laughs> up here in the north. How about in Chicago where you're at? Um, always cold, um, always, you know, maybe rain, maybe some sun, maybe some wind, maybe some, you know, nothing. It's, it's, it's dark at night and it's light during the day. That's about it. <laughs> there we go. There we so, go. Well, I'm excited about the, this podcast. Uh, we have a, a teacher who has a side hustle uh, teaching fifth grade math. It seems to be in a STEM academy. Kevin, I'm uh, sorry, Kareem Price is with us. Kareem, how are you, man? I'm pretty good. How are you today? We're doing wonderful. We're doing wonderful. So before we jump into um, everything uh, around, you know, side gigs, teaching math, uh, STEM in Chicago, tell us a little bit more about uh, who you are and, and uh, what you're doing these days around education and obviously outside of education as well. So thanks for having me. I do appreciate it. Um, this is a very interesting uh, podcast. Awesome. I'm Kareem Price. I am a uh, a dad, a husband. Uh, I'm a teacher uh, at Chicago Public Schools. Uh, actually, my 
23rd year, uh, my anniversary was January 3rd. Right. So this is my 23rd year teaching, uh, being in education, uh, mostly in um, uh, the math area. I did a couple years of science. Uh, I've been a coach um, for a couple years at the Office of Math and Science for CPS. And most recently, I have uh, been middle school teacher and uh, fifth grade math teacher at Persian STEM, newly, newly, we've newly become a STEM school um, magnet in Chicago's uh, Bronzeville uh, area. Have you taught across different levels? Um, so, you know, like in the burbs here and, and, you know, fifth grade could be considered elementary or, you know, um, uh, middle school. Um, what levels have you taught all across? Has it always been just right around middle school? Yeah, this is my first year uh, being in fifth grade. Um, I've been sixth through eighth um, every other year. So this is a new experience for me. Yeah. God bless you, man. <laughs> this, this is some fun kids. <laughs> yeah. Well, our building is a K to eight. So yeah. um, if I really miss them, I could just go visit them. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Let's just jump into like why an educator, man. Um, I think it's a very important uh, question for everyone who steps into, uh, you know, the field of education, um, especially obviously in, in the age ranges that for me as a high school educator, my wife's a, an elementary school educator. Um, I have two kids as well um, who have gone through those grades that you teach and it's not an easy, but what made you want to do it, man? It took me a while to get to education. Um, my original, uh, when I went into college, I wanted to be an accountant. Mm -hmm. um, and I took that first accounting class and I was like, ooh. <laughs> um, and it just, uh, in hindsight, I probably shouldn't have started uh, right off into my major. Um, but I changed majors a couple of times. And my roommate, um, at the time I remember coming back from uh, taking a computer science test and that I failed. <laughs> and uh, I was like, man, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to end up dropping out of school. I don't think this is going to work out for me. He said, man, try education. You know, I've been, you know, I'm a couple of years into the program and I said, okay, I'll give it a shot. And it stuck uh, for me. And, um, you know, went out, um, did my student teaching um, and student teaching was, very difficult for me um, because I had uh, did my observations in Elmhurst, um, you know, in the suburban school districts, and I did my student teaching in Chicago, and it was a very different experience from what I observed, um, and, uh, you know, in Elmhurst. Um, and I had been to a classroom, you know, with 12-year-old kids since I was 12 years old, so it had been a long time, and I forgot what it was like. Um, so my first couple of years um, were very, very interesting. I learned a lot in my first couple of years, but that was the that's how I got there. Uh, my roommate Noah Cannon <laughs> uh, was like, "Hey, give us a shot," you know, um, and it worked out. Um, and I can remember being in like fifth and seventh, eighth grade, remembering my math teachers um, at those grade levels and just loving uh, math. Um, so math was obviously, you know, what I was going to teach. 
um, that was a no-brainer. But getting into teaching took a while. I remember my uh, 7th and 8th grade math teacher for sure. I remember her having us stand on the desk and then be like, slope. <laughs> to help us remember the, the vertical line. It's like a, it's a very um, formative age range to teach in, in that. And I know for me, I was a chemistry educator and I know how influential my high school chemistry teacher was in getting me into interested in the subject. And math was the same way. A lot of my favorite educators um, growing up were, were in the, the middle school and high school age range. Um, for what, like, I ended up pursuing. You said something, or you said a couple of things that, you know, you quote unquote failed, um, you know, your computer science test or some of the accounting things. And I'm just curious if that, if that kind of experience has shaped how you approach teaching and learning um, throughout your career, having, you know, you said you didn't get there at, at first. Um, so, has has any of that experience kind of shaped who you are as an educator today or how you view education? Uh, yes, yeah, a big word in my classroom is uh, perseverance. Um, you know, um, you might not get it the first time. There's a very good chance that you won't get it the first time, but that doesn't mean that you won't get it, you know? Um, so maybe had I persevered through that accounting class, I wouldn't be here now. We never know. Um, but I think that is some, you know, really important to teach kids that this um, notion that if I don't get it, you know, like that, <clears throat> that I did, you know, that I'm not going to be successful in whatever this thing is. Um, and, you know, teaching people that they can do hard things, um, you know, that's how you grow um, difficult tasks or you know things that are a little bit out of your comfort zone are pretty much pretty much what makes you who you are um and my students i was like oh this is so hard and i said yeah it's supposed to be um you know if we did things that you already knew there's no there's no point in any of us being here um so yeah that kind of um i didn't have that mindset at the time um you know, being 18 or 17, 18, like, oh, this is hard. I'm just switch to something else. Um, but definitely um, in my classroom, we, we productive struggle is um, big. I like, I like that word productive struggle. That's awesome. Likely going to name the whole podcast that. So everybody is listening to it. Um, so um, as Ali's standing on desk as a, uh, you know, preteen um, and having fun with slopes, I'm curious to know, um, you know, we all have that that educator. And I think in, in 23 here, what we want to do is amplify some of the things that um, previous educators have done to help us in our own field as educators inside and outside of the system. Um, what was what you know, do you have a story of, of some of the, the educators, especially in the math educators like this is something that, that clicked with me? And then what have you used or taken from that to use in your classrooms today? I can't remember being in maybe sixth, seventh, eighth grade or whatever. And I was a undersized kid, um, so I wasn't like really good at sports. Um, I wasn't like it was super cool, like cool kid that everybody gravitated to but I was just really good at math 
And I felt like that was going to be like, this is going to be my thing. And like, I'm going to be the smart math kid. Um, and my teacher, Mr. Gaggiano, I feel like he really like understood that. Like I liked sports, you know, I liked being funny and it's that and the third, but like my, I was, I excelled at, you know, in middle school at math. And I feel like he made it, um, he made me confident um, in that because, you know, the the cool math kid, that's not a thing. Like, <laughs> uh, so, you know, he made me feel confident. Um, he challenged me a lot. Um, you know, he just, I just felt like he made it, um, he made me feel like this is, if this is your niche, that's fine. Um, you know, just be you, be the, you know, be, be the smart kid, be the smart kid in the math. Yeah. And uh, I can remember like going to high school and freshman year algebra, we had done a lot of those things, those concepts. And like, I felt like the smart kid again, you know, because he had me prepared. Um, and, um, yeah, Mr. Gaggiano definitely is like the first name that I think of in like my elementary and middle school, um, as a teacher. Have you, have you taken some of those, uh, those pieces of how he, you know, helped you create that confidence? Do you take that into the classroom today? And, you know, do you have any stories around that? You know, I just know that, um, I try to highlight kids, um, you know, what they're good at. Um, I try to find their interest and try to relate it to a math lesson or somehow, some way. Um, you know, I explicitly tell kids, it's fine to be you. It's only one you. Um, just be the best you that you can be. Um, you know, I just try to make kids feel comfortable and make them, you know, understand mistakes happen. Um, you know, I try to make the environment as light as possible uh, while we're still learning. Um, um, so yeah, I just I just try to put kids in a you know where they can feel comfortable while they're learning. Um, you know, I uh, I do have, and he also had super high standards for for us, and he was he made it. You know, he made you work like there were like your brain was working <laughs> with him. <laughs> so I try to, you know, make where the kids are questioning themselves and, <clears throat> you know, thinking at higher levels. I always told my students, I was like, you may not you may not appreciate me now and I'm OK with getting a letter in 10 years or an email. <laughs> Yeah, that yes, I'm gonna make your brain a little mushy right now. So I I, I think that's really in, important in the education space. I, I like the productive struggle that you talked about earlier. Do you have any, um, you know, like when you think over the span of your 23 plus year teaching career now, um, a favorite like teaching moment or learning moment um, that has just kind of, you know, you've carried with you over the years um, and would want to share with us in terms of uh, here on the Disrupt Education podcast? Um, I had a student 
not very um not a very studious kid um good kid um but he struggled and with his struggles came um you know off task behavior so i drew a circle one day and i said this is you you're going around in this circle and i said think of a person who doesn't have a car so you don't have a car, so you can't go to work. You can't go to work. You don't get money. You don't get money. You don't have a car. Anyway, I, it just went around. I said, this is you. You come to class. You, um, I think I said you uh, have a hard time doing the work. So you talk. Don't pay attention. When you talk and don't pay attention, you don't get the concepts or the ideas or the teaching. And then you struggle with the work. And this is you just going around in a circle, going around in a circle. I saw the kid like two years later at a, on a field trip. He was in high school. Uh, and I, We were at Soldier's Field for something. I can't remember. And um, he came up to me and he said, I got out. I'm, I'm not in the circle no more. I'm not doing the circle no more. <laughs> and I knew exactly what he meant as soon as he said it. And I said, oh, thank, good. I'm proud of you. <laughs> um and I don't know how far he was off the circle or, or you know, how, but he remembered that. And, uh, and I was like, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm happy that you remember that. I'm, I'm glad that you got it. Probably at the moment he was like, you know, he, he was uh, maybe in seventh or eighth grade when I, t t when I gave him that example. And he probably was like, yeah, whatever. But <laughs> I saw him on that field trip and it was, I, like, I, I think we were at Soldier Field, and I could have, you know, ran into a million kids, and I ran into that kid that I know, and he told me that. That was the first thing he said, ran up to me. It's interesting because um, it's I, I share a story in accounting with you. Um, I uh, did have a business minor, and then I ended up uh, going to get, I had to get a business major for business education. Um, and, you know, I was very close to becoming a CPA. Um, but, but my first time that I took um, accounting, I had to withdraw from the class. So I feel that, man. Like, I was just like, I don't know what is going on. It seemed like it was supposed to be basic algebra. And then it just went crazy, you know. Um, but now, you know, I'm, I'm certified to teach, you know, high school level um, accounting and such. Um, but going through that, that process, um, you know, what... What I wanted to ask you is, you know, kind of going through, you know, how you learn um, and then realizing that um, when you have a failure like that and it's like, no, you know, how did you get yourself through that, um, that, that blocker, if you will, in, in your kind of learning the way that you're learning um, and continue going? Because I think that's, that's a huge we all know that's that's a, that's a huge blocker for a lot of students, um, especially you know you got this kid out of the circle, which I absolutely love the story. Um, how did you get yourself out of that small circle of accounting and continue to what what was it? The, I think the first problem was I had never really that was like my first bad. I was never like a you know straight A student, mm -hmm. but I never got to a class and was like oh. I'm really having a hard time with this for whatever reason, whether it was bad study habits or, you know, uh, not having, uh, you know, the prior knowledge or whatever, especially in math. That was the first time I came across something mathematically and was like, 
this isn't like this isn't working for me. So um I had to like just kind of pull myself out of my, my bootstraps, I guess. It was like, well, <clears throat> you know, I spent a long a lot of time kind of being one of the smartest kids, you know, in my my classes or whatever. Um so I I, I don't know, I guess I gave myself a pep talk. Uh, you know, saying, um, you know, you 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 have to get it done, whatever it is at the time, because graduation is the ultimate goal um, from college. So you you that's probably why I ended up switching majors um, a couple times. But um, you know, just I guess having that end goal of graduating in mind. Um, knowing that, um, you know, I had a four-year plan in my head and I wanted to continue my plan. Um, I don't think I, I guess as I got older, um, I had better study habits, um, you know, just maturing a little bit and realizing that um, this is, you're at a different level and, you know, you have to allocate time, Um more than definitely more than what you did in high school and definitely more than what you did in elementary uh, school. So probably just a little bit of age um, and being focused on that final goal of, you know, graduating. I wouldn't say that I learned any, I don't think my learning style changed or anything like that. Probably just um, the maturity. There's something to be said about like growing in and maturing into your learning style and like embracing it um, over time that, it can be difficult for uh, students at times. They kind of want to fight against it, I have found in in the classroom. They're like, no, I want to learn this way. And you're like, okay, well, it, it's a maturity thing sometimes. <laughs> like their skill sets. So Peter mentioned that you have a side hustle of sorts. Um, and I'm curious to learn more about um that and how long you've had it what you know kind of prompted it if it's related to education or not um i know myself i've as an educator i've almost always had something else sometimes it was for the extra cash it was just like a hobby that grew into something else and then i even left the classroom to pursue entrepreneurship full time so curious where you're at um in your own side hustling uh journey and kind of where that started and where it is now um, so in 2016, uh, I started a clothing line um, called Shabby Fly, and um, it's a um, small business. We've been running out of the basement. Um, most recently, we have moved out of the basement, uh, which is a big deal. <laughs> to a uh, yeah, to a space um, where we can keep the inventory and do a little office work and things of that nature. Um, uh, it started um, when I moved to Oak Park, which is the town that I live in now. I had always thought about um, shirt ideas. I always thought, like, hey, I got an idea for something to put on a shirt, but never really, never, you know, did any of the of the work to figure out what it would take to do. Um, and then I want to say in the fall of 2016, I just said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. You know, I uh, got my website and did all that, got some shirts printed up and started, you know, selling them. Uh, it has been a very uh, entrepreneurship is 
a lot of ups and downs. Um, uh, a lot of ups and downs. It's, I tell a story to people, and I'm like, it, it was a point in time where I thought my website was broken because uh, I didn't sell shirts for so long. I'm like, it has to be broken. Like, there's no way that nobody's buying any shirts. Um, so uh, that grew into um, the village, and the village is a um, uh, kind of offshoot of Shabby Fly that I worked on with a partner of mine, uh, Vic Sanchez. And um, the village has a um, charitable aspect to it. Um, so uh, if you can see, I have on one of the village T-shirts now. Um, our first, um, our first season, um, this year, uh, we did a pop-up and called a pop-up with a purpose. And the purpose was to donate money to, uh, Hepzibah, which is a, a local organization here in Oak Park, Illinois. And they work with, uh, children in like the foster system. They have a camp in the summer, um, called, uh, a SIP camp. Uh, Hep Siba, but they they put the Sib in there. Um, summer camp and it reunites kids with their siblings who are in different foster um, homes. Um, so kids that have been separated from their from their siblings, they bring them together for like a two week camp, um, and it you know gets them to at least have some time with their siblings, um, you know, in a in a fun environment. Um, so we did a pop-up shop and, uh, we were able to donate, um, $1,300 to the SIP camp, um, uh, which was real good for us being our first go around with, um, season one, um, and just our overall, our overall, um, goal is to, uh, every season, um, pick a different charity. Uh, have a different design of a shirt, do a pop-up, and then donate, um, you know, a portion of the proceeds to those camps or those organizations, I should say. I've worked with the Hepzibah House, and um, when I used to teach, I actually used to teach with uh, a colleague of ours. I'll give him a shout-out, Derek Purvis, uh, at Oak Park and River Forest High School. It's amazing. It is an amazing entity that, that helps um, youth, um, changes lives, um, you know, in, in some pretty tough situation. So that's, that's amazing. I, I really like the fact of connecting community and that kind of leads me into, um, you know, community and education and learning. Well, I bet, you know, accounting now, right? When you, <laughs> when, when Funny, you, I told yeah. my wife day as I was trying to, uh, doing the end of the year books and get everything, uh, evened out. I was like, I need a, a bookkeeper or something. And she just looked at me crazy. Like, <laughs> You're the you're everything. You're the bookkeeper. You're the marketing guy. I was like, I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, totally empathize as a as a entrepreneurial uh, entrepreneur myself, and obviously uh, Allie's an entrepreneur, and uh, you know I teach it in high school. And so, with that being said, um, do you take any of the experiences back uh, into the classroom with kids? Because I know, like in this day and age, a lot of students they just yeah, they, they, they need the academics, right? They need the, the, the foundation, but they always have a thirst for making some cash or, or you know, helping out at home or, or you know, building a business. Um, 
and and with whatever dreams that they have um have you have you taken you know uh the village or, or the the rest of your your business ideas into the classroom and kind of work with students there uh yeah i've had students that actually were starting uh clothing brands wow um that were making designs and i was able to give them some tips and some ideas um things that they had no idea about, you know, just um, giving them pointers and things that they can think about as they were trying to, you know, start up their own business. Um, I did do a small, um, it wasn't with my business, but it was with um, uh, the idea of real estate with some of my, uh, with my students a couple years ago. I was able to have a, a, one of my students' parents was a realtor. So she came in and I talked to the kids about uh, just what real estate is and um, giving them some of the basics. And with my students, I would, we, we did like the mock loan process and filling out loans and things like that. Um, I think the kids definitely uh, want to have ways to make their own money. So I talk to the I talk to the kids about you know ways that they can um, you know generate revenue, um, whether it be shoveling snow, raking grass, um, um, I mean raking leaves, cutting grass, uh, things like that. Just getting them to um, come up with ideas of how to, you know they can you know make a couple bucks here and there. Um, I think the kids are real receptive once you start talking to them about money. Mm -hmm. uh, they definitely spark up. Um, we've done, you know, just small, smaller um, projects where kids create a business um, or a business idea, I should say. And, you know, we talk about the difference between, um, you know, profit and, um, you know, what you bring in isn't always your profit. And, uh, you know, taxes, um, how you split the money with your partners and things like that. Um, so just getting them an idea. I don't think that that is thing. Um, that was something that I was really taught um, in elementary. Uh, we were definitely more in the book, um, you know, with our education. No, but yeah. and it's also interesting yeah. to just get the kids ideas of, um, you know, what they think is a good business and, you know, how they can make money. Uh, most recently I was talking to my students about, um, just inventions. And this kid said that he would make an invention that automatically closes your bedroom door. Like if you hear your parents coming towards your door and be like, and all the kids are like, I would buy that, I would buy that, I would buy that. So it's just good to get their ideas and, you know, see how their classmates react to their ideas. I know my kids would actually buy that. Um, you know, it's right. interesting. It's, I mean, when you, what you're talking about here is, uh, I, I did not mention this before, but my father was a uh, math educator at the high school level for over 30 years. And he said, as soon as you put a dollar sign on a number, kids get it, like, um, usually. So I, I, I love that. I know my students did when I was teaching them uh, significant figures. Any of my former students listening to this are like, ah, sig figs. Ah. <laughs> but as soon as you would put like rounding rules and you'd make it money related, man, they would be like, 
they would then want to round properly be like the bank ain't taking my money and i'm like yeah because you just cut yourself ten thousand dollars with your incorrect rounding rules and then then they they get it decimals with that for a kid and it's like oh i had the decimal in the wrong space well it's only one you know one space over well you want thirty dollars or you want three hundred dollars and they're like oh yeah i want three hundred dollars i was like so that decimal needs to be in the right spot it seems like you've had a, a, a an awesome teaching career just the way you talk about it and the energy that you bring to the classroom um and obviously you've been in it for long enough so you haven't left uh but what would you you know change or disrupt that you see, you know, and, and or have seen is something that, you know, you would really want to change um, moving forward in education that you that you would think would really benefit um, those in the educational space and, and whatnot. Be very curious on what are some things that you might shift change um, in from your current practice or things that you you are doing right now. First thing off the top of my head is how we use technology. Um, I think there's so much, um, out there for tech, tech, for technology wise, like how we were using it. And I don't think, um, that throwing a kid on an iPad and having them work on multiplication is how we should be using technology. Uh, I don't think putting a kid on um, Epic, uh, which is a reading program, is how we should be using technology. I think we should give a kid a regular book and let them read the regular book. Um, I think we can have kids work on um, number facts and things of that nature um, without a, being in front of a screen. I see how my students, my my own kids, I have kids 10 and 8, uh, well, just turned 11, sorry, <laughs> just turned 11 on the third, <laughs> um, how they kind of zone out on the screens. Um, I think technology should be used, but we should be teaching kids how to code more. Uh, we should be teaching kids how to use um, spreadsheets. Uh, we should be teaching kids how to um, create um, podcasts, um, how to create music. Um, I feel like that we are using uh, technology um, as I'm just throwing a kid on a computer and they're doing things that they could be doing regularly without the computer. Mm -hmm. um, I try to, there are mandates that I follow um, but I try to limit my kids, my students, I should say, um, well, my personal kids too, um, the time on the screen for things that they could be, you know, just doing it regularly. Um, that's what I would disrupt. Um, I think that we have, I think that we have um, leaned on it too much now. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, and it's becoming, um, I don't know, it's becoming like I'm, I see kids on a computer and how they, it's like this glazed over look and it just kind of, I don't like it. So that's what I would disrupt. <laughs>
um, how we use technology. You know, I really like that because I'm, um, you know, at the age of, that I think that we all are, I'm not going to categorize you all at my age. I'm probably the oldest in this room. But, um, but uh, you know, we didn't have this, right? And then, you know, our deeper curiosity in technology and how, you know, now we're getting into AI and, and all this other all these other things that are that are coming um i feel like you i hear you i hear like the the curiosity has been pulled from the students because they've never been without it they don't really understand how powerful it is um in that change um and really honestly you're right i'm um as a matter of fact one of the things that that i'm looking at doing is similar to what you're saying is you know, we're gonna have to talk it out thursdays we ali and i talked about that on a previous podcast like you know, let's no no technology in class for a couple of days. And you know what's interesting, Kareem, is that that came from our students. And this is high school, but the students were actually saying that, right? Um, do you get that? Like, um, you know, I, I get like with any school system, especially um, CBS being one of the biggest school systems in the nation, um, where you have these mandates, um, you you kind of mention um, it's moving to a STEM um, or a STEM school, which there's mm -hmm. a lot of shuffling. Um, how does that come into play with you know trying to get some consistency um, in some of the things that that you're doing? Um, you know, because I, I know there's a lot of mandates across. So you have to turn in this sort of lesson plan, or you have to do this and this and this. Um, how does how does that affect the way that that you teach? Um, or does it? So we have certain programs that we are asked to use or, um, you know, told to use and the kids are supposed to use them for a, you know, a certain amount of time. And, I, you know, I make sure that, you know, that I do that. And, um, but I also, you know, our extra technology time is, you know, I, I show kids, you know, for example, um, you know, this spreadsheets, um, you can put formulas in there to help, um, you know, this, for example, let's say you want to find your average, um, you know, we can put your scores in there and we can, we can find your average if we do this. So I try to, and um, I try to extend uh, the knowledge from the technology, using the technology. I'm not anti-technology. Mm -hmm. I'm not, Yeah. you know, I'm not all the iPads and computers away and go back to encyclopedias and you know like that but you know I, I just don't want you know my students staring at the computer all day mm -hmm. uh, so I make it you know I I, I I give them the time to to do the programs that we are you know supposed to be using but then after that you know it's pretty much you know put your laptop back and you know we're gonna you know we're just gonna work on you know, math, and we're going to talk about different concepts, and um, you know, we're, we're, we're not old school. You know, where I'm standing at the board for 45 minutes, but more traditional, where you know, it's going to be a lot of conversation, mm -hmm. um, paper, pen, pencil, paper. You know, mm -hmm. working it. I do have that productive struggle. Yeah, yeah, that, that productive struggle. <laughs> I wanted to give you an opportunity here to share out um, some of your connects. Number one, like how can people get connected to your businesses? Um, and also how can people reach out uh, to you? Um, honestly, I got to ask how many male teachers are in your school? Because um, there can't be, is there, is there a lot? Are you the only one? <laughs> I'm not the only one. 
um, currently at my school, teachers, uh, male teachers, we have um, one, two, three, four. And then we have three, oh no, two, two, um, eight that are male. Um, we had more, but some guys that took some different opportunities. We lost um, over the last maybe three or four years. We lost about four um, male teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a much. Uh, I've been in situations where it's just been me. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, so this school is is definitely the highest amount that I've had. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lot. For an elementary school. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my building is K to eight. You're right. Oh, okay. So okay. Chicago, Chicago has pr- primarily K to eight buildings. Um, but I mean all my other schools are K to eight too, and I've you know been one, maybe two. Um, there well, two years ago in middle school, we had four out of the seven homerooms, we have four male black teachers. Mm-hmm. Which I've never had that before. Yeah, that's a whole nother like that. Po- that's a whole nother podcast. But I will tell you, yeah, like, I mean, my first black male uh, professor was in college and it was my junior year. Right. So um, it's yeah, that's that's hopefully changing as well. Um, you know, I think, you know, students seeing somebody who is them. Right. They can see themselves in and in that. Um but uh, yeah, that's you're doing amazing work. I, I, I appreciate the fact that uh, you know you're sharing um, your business stories with the students. Um, I wish, as a business educator, I'm loving that because if, if I get students coming to me at the next level, understanding a little bit about tax and money, and and they know algebra, you just you know you just ask them. Here's ten dollars. Give me give me twenty back, and they're like no. And I'm like, well, you just did algebra, <laughs> right? So. <laughs> But uh, but yeah, um, share share out like how can people uh, connect with you and, and connect with the village and, and the businesses that you have as well. Where can people find that? Uh, we're on Instagram. Um, Shabby Fly um, is the uh, IG handle. Um, the Village underscore OP is the village's handle, um, and that is where we um, we mainly operate on social medias. Um, shabbyfly.com is the website. The village is inside of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the village um, products are inside of that as well. Um, so yeah, the village underscore op and shabbyfly.com. Um, Got it. And how can people connect with you personally? Because um, you know you're taking business education combining some things, uh, working with that crazy landscape of fifth through eighth graders. Um, is there a way where people can connect with you? Uh, sure. They can connect with me at, uh, price P R I C E at shabby fly.com S H A B B Y F L Y.com. Excellent. All right. Uh, Allie, last, uh, final thoughts here. When you were talking about, you know, um, going more, I don't know, quote unquote, old school, limiting technology, I was really thinking of, you know, how the pendulum has to swing and and how, you know, it really has swung so far 
where kids are just overwhelmed with technology. I know my last couple of years, I saw more and more students requesting paper copies of stuff, um, less screen time and everything. And so it's encouraging to hear that that is also at the elementary level and that we don't need tech, tech I'm not anti-technology at all, but we need to find more of a middle ground um, and not let that pendulum be strictly one way or the other. So it's cool to, to know that the math is still mathing with or without the screen. Yeah, absolutely. You got to bring the human first, man. And, 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 you know, we are the humanistic approach has got to be that uh, middle ground. Well, Kareem, thank you so much for hanging out with us today on uh, Disrupt Education. Um, it is it's it's I love the the lessons underneath. Um, I wouldn't even call it old school. It's like old new school. I think you even said that. So I appreciate you sharing your stories today on the on the podcast. I appreciate you guys having me. All right. Thank you all for listening. For Ali Privet, I'm Peter Hostrasser. We'll catch you next time. Disrupt Education. Thanks for hanging out. Thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode of the Disrupt Education Podcast. Be sure to like and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Are you ready to disrupt the educational arena you're a part of? For more ways to get involved in the work we do here at Disrupt Education, check us out at disrupteducation.co. Or find us on LinkedIn at Peter Hostrosser or Ali Privet. Our mission here is to help facilitate and amplify changes in the educational system through local initiatives and help you scale them into community movements. Our building network of disruptors in education are working to move beyond scores and grades as the only measure for student learning. If your school district, college, campus, or organization is looking for facilitators of this work, reach out on our website or social media. And if you have any thoughts or feedback on this week's episode or any episode, we'd love to hear from you. Until next time, keep pushing the boundaries, taking risks, and most importantly, disrupting education.